So as I was saying, among the less important but interesting news bits in this last month was the obituary about the death of Playboy founder Hugh Hefner, who died at the age of 90. This coincided with the Harvey Weinstein revelations and catalyzed some soul-searching analysis among boomers and sociologists and pundits about things like gender roles, the commodification of sex, harassment of women, Weinstein's defensive comment, how he had been formed in the riotous 70s and so on. But Hefner's obituary brought to mind another death closer to the Baumans. On this day, we remember saints of the church. You'll understand why in a couple of minutes. A number of years ago, Melissa and I, along with our son and daughter, flew to Los Angeles to inter the ashes of Melissa's aunt. She had been under the care of Melissa for some, some long while, eventually moving to New York and the Methodist church home in Riverdale with whom this church has a relationship. She stayed there for her final year. Some years prior, Mariana had made arrangements with Pierce Brothers Mortuary and Memorial Park in Los Angeles to receive her ashes in a small rose garden where her sisters, Melissa's mother's ashes, had been interred some years before. Well, this turned out to be quite a nice trip, actually, something like rehearsing a script for This Is Your Life, Melissa, as we tracked over several days the important locations of her childhood, reconnecting with some childhood friends, culminating with a visit at Occidental College, where I first met and kissed her hand at the age of 19 in what Melissa will tell you was one of my only spontaneous romantic gestures. I think it only took one. <laughs> you know, why press it, you know? <laughs> Mary's ashes were poured out into the loam of the rose garden, which in the warm California sun was in full bloom. By most standards, we would say Mariana had lived a very small, constrained life, but nevertheless had some true friends and a not large but loving family from the opposite side of the country who had come to honor her. A couple of years earlier, she had asked me to baptize her. I think she wanted to have faith more than she had faith if you get my meaning. But in that, I suspect she was not so very different from most of the rest of us. And as for that, it was good to be able to make our Christian assertions together at her memorial, a little band of family and friends confidently claiming that life and death cohered in God's warm embrace, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, 
dust to dust. Long live Mary, thanks be to God. Pierce Brothers Mortuary and Memorial Park turned out to be a more interesting place than it first appeared. If Los Angeles has a, has a main thoroughfare slicing from the beach into downtown, that would be Wilshire Boulevard. Pierce Brothers is located in the trendy Westwood section of LA, just a couple of minutes from Beverly Hills and Rodeo Drive, where the boulevard sprouts gleaming high-rise condominiums and hotels. The cemetery is situated on a small plot of land that can't be much more than an acre or two immediately behind a block of this development. It is a very unexpected place in an unusual location. And walking around the small acres of green, I learned that Mariana had chosen an unusual company in which to be permanently received. Glancing at grave markers, I noticed names like Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, George C. Scott, Dean Martin. And on the small square lawn, I stepped over brass plaques with names like Donna Reed and Roy Orbison, Natalie Wood. Here was Peggy Lee. There was Burt Lancaster, and here was Truman Capote. And as a kind of coup de grace, on a row of marble crypts at one side of the mortuary, at eye level, I read the name Marilyn Monroe. And I noticed that facing, the facing of her crypt was much darker than the rest, Inquiring about this, I was told that it needed routine cleaning given how often it was kissed by people wearing red lipstick. And indeed, on this day, a bright red imprint decorated the vault. And at the time, I thought it was curious that the crypt next to her was vacant because all the others had been filled. And a mortician informed me that Hugh Hefner had reserved it, and that's why this memory came to my mind. Hefner's obituary mentioned this crypt. And by the way, Hefner described his family as Midwestern Methodist. His mother, he wrote, wanted him to become a missionary. And I suppose he did, right? <laughs> Coincidentally, the building where I live happens to have been the home of Marilyn Monroe and playwright Arthur Miller. You can still find this listed on New York City tourist maps. Well, by comparison to all of this hot fame, Inspired by Hollywood and Beverly Hills, Mariana lived in one room above a garage for most of her adult life, not far from this garden. As the community mutated into its culturally iconic status, she stayed put in a very small space that remained unchanged for decades. It was an odd juxtaposition, really, for Mary and us, 
Yet we were there for her and for ourselves because of the sacred mystery we all share, regardless of anyone's relative station in life. Everyone's dust and ash looks the same in the end. Commingled in the earth, there's no telling whose ash feeds the bright color of the flowers. I remembered Mary's quiet, almost whimpering tears when I baptized her. It was in some ways an awkward moment, finding a bowl in her cluttered room, filling it with water, then dripping baptism on her head, claiming her as God's own beloved child at the age of 84. Her needs and neediness always loomed large for those who cared for her, and the day of her baptism was no different. But honestly, that memory of authentic, fragile humanity won the day for me at Pierce Brothers Mortuary, an, anchor, an acre of permanent respite for the stars. I don't know if it's truer to say that Mary Anna is now with them or that all of them are now resting with her, but the latter seems to have the harder pull on my heart. One day, when Jesus saw the crowds following him, he went up a mountain, and after he sat down, he began to speak and taught them, saying things like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In, in retrospect, those words would have been the right words to recite on Mary's day. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And she was meek in many of the ways we think of it, and in material fact did inherit the earth and all that it held, including those spectacular roses. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus had more in mind here than simply espousing a philosophy of life, something more than a way to find comfort in the here and now. He was saying something quite radical about how the world is actually tilted, how it was poised toward a future fashioned by God. That was the meaning embedded within his sense of the kingdom of heaven. He spoke of this all of the time, right? God's home in our yet-to-be-disclosed future. Our faith, you see, has a kind of directionality. It has forward movement. Today is pregnant with tomorrow. Today's blessing anticipates tomorrow's consummation. These famous beatitudes of Jesus have a future tense. Those who mourn are blessed today, for they will be comforted. The meek are blessed today, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst are blessed today, for they will be filled. The pure in heart are blessed because they will see God. And so too, the peacemakers are blessed because they will be called children of God. Christianity, you know, friends, is not a scheme to reduce stress, to lose weight, to advance in one's career, or, or preserve one from illness. 
Christian faith instead is a way of living based on the firm and sure hope that meekness and righteousness and peace will finally prevail, that God's future will be a time of mercy and not cruelty. And our call, our call, is to allow our, align ourselves with God's intentions. Blessed are we who attempt to live this life now, even when such a life seems foolish or dangerous, or we're boxed in by awful conditions beyond our control, or by our own frail limitations, even our own failure and fault. Why are we a blessed even so? Because our future is God's. You know, the old African-American spirituals, many of the old slave songs, ring with this future tense. If you think about this, it makes great sense and speaks to the very heart of what authentic faith is about. The old slave songs teach us something really crucial about authentic faith. There's great power in the hope in hope this draws forward for people that otherwise had such limited options in their present moment. And it was this sort of hope that fueled Martin Luther King's famous I Have a Dream speech. He was dreaming about God's kingdom come on earth as a present reality, lived in the current moment, God's future in the current moment. And for those of us sitting in this room listening to these words, when we're at our best, when we're at our best, this faith in God and Jesus, however small or struggling it might be, draws us into a future where poverty of every sort and hunger and oppressions of every sort have finally been vanquished and where even small, constrained lives find their fulfillment and we learn they are blessed. You know, friends, to claim and then attempt to live God's future, to live it God's future today, redounds in our present as a blessing of hope and peace and mercy and joy and miraculously brings that day ever closer when we shall be blessed beyond our wildest imaginings.